Okay, welcome everyone to the first edition of Campus Chats. And our first guest today will be Bas de Vise. Bas, can you maybe uh, introduce yourself? Yes, uh, glad to. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to be the first. <laughs> so I hope I won't disappoint you. Uh, so my name is Bas, Bas de Vise. It's not my official name. Uh, my official name, my official first name is actually Liber. Which okay. is French. Uh, you might wonder how did they ever get the bus? I'm not going to discuss that. It's it's a family <laughs> secret, but it's bus. And uh, I'm a biologist. Uh, I studied biology in Utrecht. I started studying biology back in the days in 1974. So that's really a long time ago. And actually, I started doing biology because I was interested in all kinds of sciencey things. I was interested in, in math. I was interested in in chemistry, in physics, actually not so much in biology because I equated biology with, uh, these days that would be, would be fun, but not when I was 18, 19, to go out in the fields and to determine plants and those kind of things. I wasn't like that. I was more into chemistry, as I said. So, But biochemistry in those days was a big thing, and I decided to do that. And also I decided to do biology because all the other sciences uh, have a role in biology as well. There's mathematical biology, there's physical uh, biology. So I thought, well, let's let's go for biology. And uh, so in that sense, I was a little bit of a, a liberal science student, not arts. Arts was not in my in my package at all. Um, so it took me quite a long time. The whole study you could do that in those days. Um, How long did it take you? Eight years. Oh, wow. And in that was for days, bachelor and master combined. You, in those days, it was called differently. You had yeah. uh, your first year was your, your propadeutis year. Was it called? The, 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 can you translate that? Proper juice? No, I don't think so. That's no, how you write it. I don't think so, no. So first year, it's, it's like a little bit like what they have these days, which is the Binden Studia Feast. It's the binding study advice, which what our students don't get, but regular students get it. And then you can stay. So that was the propadeutis year. And uh, then after that, you went for your candidates. You would become a candidate. Mm -hmm. And that usually took for biology students three years, took me four. And uh, after that, you did a research time. It, this was not called your master's. It was called your doctorate. Mm -hmm. uh, and this would make you, you would, once you had that, these days you would be a master. In those days, you were called a doctorandus which yep. means not a doctor yet, literally yep. speaking, not a doctor yet. Uh, and th those days were fantastic because you were supposed to do at least 48 months of practical work. Okay. So I did like uh, three different labs where I did really research projects and those, those kind of things. There wasn't too much teaching involved anymore or exams. You just had to do this lab work appropriately and you had to write thick papers about it so you gradually became a real researcher and i did my final uh my final topic uh, at the ubrecht institute actually in those days they hardly got any students because uh, there was a guide where you could pick particular groups to do your work and the text for the ubrecht institute was so well it looked as if you had already had to have done your PhD before you could join there. You, you would have to do this and that, and you had knowledge about this. And I thought, this is crazy. I'm just going to go there and see what they want. Uh, 
Yeah. And then so I came and, and talked to the professor and he said, finally, we have a student. Why are you guys not coming? And then I showed him the text in the study guide and he said, oh, boy, we have to change this. Yeah. So, uh, but I was in and I joined uh, uh, a, a group that had just started and they were I was very interested in developmental biology already then. Uh, how is it possible that a fertilized egg develops into an embryo? I found that magic still. And uh, what about it is magic for you? What about Well, it? I mean, how, how is it? I, I was always interested in how things were um, levels of complexity. How, how, how do complex patterns arise from simple things from simple formulas and actually it's a law of nature that from very simple mathematical repetitions almost where you feed the outcome of the first reaction into the second and then the outcome again those kind of you can get the most complex uh, systems and uh, that's also happening in, in, in embryogenesis so I was interested in that and I wanted to, to figure that out from a biochemical standpoint so I went there as a biochemist and um, gradually, so I, I got a PhD position. At the, so I did my last subject at the Ubrecht. I did it well because they asked me to stay and to do a PhD. That's what I did. And in the course of that PhD, molecular biology, the study of the genes and how genes are regulated, became ever more important for the whole field of biology. And so I switched gears and I did a postdoc. Uh, in San Diego for two years, worked for the uh, KNW, the Dutch mm -hmm. National Cancer Society. Yeah. Uh, they paid me two years to stay there. It was fantastic. I lived like in a, in a, in a small cottage, 500 meters from the Pacific Ocean. Mm. <laughs> I think back good. about <laughs> always nice weather like this. And uh, that, so I worked there for two years, and uh, then I came back to the Netherlands, and then I could go, I could come back, I could rejoin the Ubrecht Institute. They offered me a staff position there. So I had my own group, mm -hmm. and I did various uh, projects. And uh, actually, in those days, the director of the Ubrecht Institute was Siegfried Telaat, who was later the head of the science department here. So it's, yeah. it's a small world. And then uh, I worked, this was when I rejoined the Ubrecht, it was in 1990. Mm -hmm. So I worked for 17 years uh, as a staff member. And then in around 2003, I was asked to come to UC to teach. Mm -hmm. And my first reaction was no, because I didn't like, I did not like teaching at all. And the only thing I, I now and then did was teach to biology student of the UU and, and those were usually groups of two to three hundred people in a big yeah. audience and you, then you don't have contact with the students. Yeah. They just sit there and stare at you and you talk back and that's it. I didn't like that. And, and then they told me well, about UCU, small classes. So my first course I taught there, I had six, 16 students mm -hmm. and this was fantastic. I liked it. I got feedback and I had discussions and they were very interested. and. So I decided to do that again the next year and the year after they asked me for a second course and then I gradually rolled into education. At the same time, the project at the Ubrecht wasn't yielding good results. And also- What was the project you were working on? Sorry? What was the project you were working on? Oh, there were various projects, but the most, the most important one was a project in which very early 
in development, there's a particular cell division where a particular molecule plays a role. And we were trying to figure out how, and it was tough. And it was also tough. What I did not like at all is you can only do projects if you get project money yeah. for it. And you were part of a rat race that I didn't like. You had to write project proposals and you had to uh, pro um, predict things like this is going to be very important for cancer research and blood. It was all a bit of a, a rat race that I didn't I didn't enjoy very much. And in those days, particularly in those days, uh, the big data came up, so people were not so much interested anymore in, in, in puzzling and yeah. finding. But you had to generate large data from which uh, you could then. Everyone was doing um, um, omics. Proteomics, genomics, uh, yeah. I didn't like that. Okay, because for you, uh, it's the puzzle that makes it interesting. Yes, and, and sharing that puzzle. Give me an example of a research that you worked on that you really enjoyed. Oh, I enjoyed research, researching as such tremendously. Uh, doing experiments is still something I miss. Um, one of the, maybe we can talk about that later. One of the reasons why I think this is something that is missing at UCU, the, the students get it a chance to do some research in 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 small courses of like two to three weeks but that's not really research you yeah. you talk a lot about I, I try in the 300 level course to teach students to think in research proposals and to set up research proposals i'm not the only one other teachers do that too but it's always artificial the the the, the if you want to have this Aha, erlebnis, when you do an experiment and you set it up and you go home and you see the result the next day or after two days and then go on from there. And of course, if it's a great result, you go like, yes. And yeah. if it, it isn't, you puzzle further. Yeah. That's what I enjoy. And so can you give me an example of a puzzle that you worked on? Huh? Uh, well, um, very early in... Well, that's, that's difficult. Uh, I, I, I would always have to give a class. But it's, it's what, it, what it boils down to is you use models to study developmental events. And one of those events uh, is, is very early in development when cells that normally grow in sheets, mm -hmm. what you call epithelia in, in biology, they escape that sheet and become mesenchymal, and then they become highly motile. It's actually also a process that happens a lot in cancers. Yeah. where as long as the cells stay together, there's not so much wrong. You, you call it a tumor then, or a primary cancer. But they, when they turn malignant, these cells, they escape this epithelial environment and then become mesenchymal, solitary, and start moving. Yeah. And this is also a very important event early in embryogenesis because the, mm -hmm. this little embryo has to implant into the uterine wall. Yeah. It's exactly, that's actually also one of the most invasive moments in in your life yeah as a little embryo you are behaving like a very malignant tumor but the uterine wall is a, is, is is waiting for you and is actually helping you and then this invasion process forms the placenta and it's that kind that that event that i was studying and we were trying to identify particular molecules that were involved in that yeah and you cannot study that in vivo Mm -hmm. The mouse, you use a mouse model, yeah, yeah. you can reach it. So you had to make a model system in vitro yeah, and then figure out if I do this, what happens to those cells and then how does this work? And very difficult uh, experiments. And, 
And how do you execute those experiments? I mean, my own background is in economics, obviously. So this is a well, new world for me. You use cell lines. Uh, and those are usually established cell lines. Usually they are cell lines that have been established in other labs. And these cells have all the hallmarks, markers on the outside mm-hmm. of the normal. So you always compare your cell lines with, which, with what is happening in vivo. And uh, you always have to go back, obviously. So you identify a particular event in your cell line. And then you have to show that this is also important in this case in the mouse. And, okay. And you manipulate a mouse for that? Or do you... No. For the, for, so you manipulate those cells. Yeah. You manipulate those cells and you figure out, okay, if I add this growth factor or this hormone or this substance, this happens. And of course, you add particular factors of which you know that they're also present in the mouse. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, you try to identify factors that do it in vitro and then see if those work in the mouse as well. Yeah. And so the, what you do, there's um, what you do in biology is uh, it, it's, a, it's a three component approach. You find it, mm-hmm. that means you identify it, you lose it, that means you knock it out and then see what happens. Yeah. Or you move it, which means that you identify particular signaling molecules and you overexpress them or you express them at a particular other location or at another time and that tells you a little bit about what those factors in vivo are doing that's yeah. that's the way it, and 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 obviously you can only uh, do that puzzle by one piece at once and that makes it so difficult because usually those events in biology are very complex they yeah. come, there's, there's many different signaling mechanisms that impinge on one cell, never one, but you yeah. can only study one. And so that makes biology such a, a tough science now and then, because in the, in, the, in the real hardcore sciences, you hope to have all your parameters constant and you, mm-hmm. you change one yeah. and then something happens and then you know, okay, it's just this that's impinging on that. And biology is more like a three-dimensional yeah spider's web where you pull a thread here and then there something happens and then you cut a few threads and it still happens you go oh so redundancy all over the place stuff it's the complexity it, again it's it's, it's, it's complex and yeah. and 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 then if you work in such a complex model system and you are successful it's great mm-hmm. but if you need some time to establish the right uh, mechanisms you sometimes don't get that time and and, and, and you have you have people working for you, like postdocs, and you pay them for three years, four years, and then you hope to get something done. If that doesn't work, and you apply for money again, it's a frustrating thing. I didn't like yeah. it. So, uh, yeah. and I was also involved now in teaching. Yeah. So then, then you see. You Wait, one, offer, one, one, oh. Let's stick to the biology for for now. Yeah, sure. Because um, I sort of want to want to see if we can structure it in a way that we talk about your time as a researcher, then time as a teacher, and okay. as a human being. Okay. Um, so as a researcher, who is like one of the biology, biology researchers that you admire? Oh, there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I worked for, when I was a student, I already went for six weeks to San Diego. That's really, no, that's not really a coincidence because I got that postdoc position also yeah. because I already knew people there. That's very important. Networking, chance that goes for everyone. I guess if you yeah. look at people's career, you, you never end up where you thought you would end up. Um, I worked for six weeks in the lab of Tony Hunter uh, mm-hmm. at the Salk Institute. Well, that's some, somebody I admire a lot. Uh, he, uh, yeah, 
he's an example of, I know lots of these biologists, I visited tons of uh, conferences and there you meet the most fantastic people. Uh, Paul Nurse, a cell cycle biologist who worked on yeast, fantastic guy. With a and great what, what, makes it, what makes his work great? What inspires you about it? Um, yeah, the level of um, what inspires, of course, the of personality of people when you get to know them. Mm -hmm. um, they're not nerds. They are. I like the scientists most that do outside of of, of biology do more than just that. Uh, know their way around. Um, are socially great people. Uh, have a sense of humor, mm -hmm. and I noticed that especially in the, in biology, you meet lots of those guys. They are and girls too. Uh, lots of fun, um, but also extremely capable people. Uh, Capable of running a group, capable of uh, um, because that's tough running a group. Yeah. Um, so managing such a group, uh, being nice, and there was I I also know uh, assholes in biology <laughs> that are just slave drivers like those. Yeah. yeah, you had those people that were that were were only busy with making the great you know and then using their their personnel and their postdocs to scoop others yeah. so so the inspiration for you doesn't so much come from the work that they do but the person that they are and and how they are and working both with others both the, the the where they get their um uh enthusiasm from and the way they approach difficult uh problems um and, and, and also the level of knowledge that some of them have. It's astonishing. Yeah. They're, they're walking encyclopedias. You sometimes have the idea, this is, this is, I remember the first time I met this Tony Hunter that I admire so much. <clears throat> it was on a conference. And I didn't even know this was Tony Hunter. I didn't. Yeah. He walked over to me. I had a poster. And he started asking all kinds of, and he looked like a beach bum. <laughs> with the short yes. trousers and the flops, flip flops, and the sh uh, hairy legs, and a t-shirt with, he, he really looked like a beach bum. And he approached me on the conference and he started asking questions. And then I looked at him and I said, "These are such good questions. Are you in biology? Are you yeah. in this field too?" And then he just said, "I am Tony Hunter." And then, oh, <laughs> and then he laughed. So <laughs> this broke the ice. This, but you know, and yeah. You immediately feel this is somebody that is so knowledgeable and I can learn so much from this guy. So yeah, that's, that's what, 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 what I like. What is the biggest challenge in biology to you today? What do you say is like the biggest topic for people to work on? If I would choose again, I, I would think um, unraveling the, the essentials of what makes a system alive. I mean, um, and, and we could we could do so much these days uh, by taking and I would then start not not anymore with 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 mammalian cells. I would then work on uh, the most simple organisms like bacteria and 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 then figure out okay which parts of that bacteria are really necessary for it to function mm -hmm. as a living organism and. It, it, it then it, it needs to metabolize it needs to still reproduce but how can you figure out 
what are, what, are, what are the locks and keys of what makes stuff alive? And, and what I find very challenging is how do organisms adapt to changing circumstances? Um, and with this field of epigenetics, we come to realize that there's more than just random mutations. What, what is epigenetics? Epigenetics is the, so we all have a genome mm -hmm. and we all have genes and those genes encode proteins and sometimes you have mutations in those genes that make a slightly different protein, which then could lead to slightly better function. And then, so the, the one example is the, you know, the black and white butterflies. Mm -hmm. And you have white butterflies and you can't see them on the bark of trees, mm -hmm. but then there's uh, the coal mines come and the trees get darker and now the yeah. white butterflies get eaten. Yeah. But there's a mutation in, uh, in, the, in the, the gene that encodes the pigment and now they get, you have black variations too. Yeah. And now the black variations do not get eaten, so they survive. That's yeah. a typical example of survival of the fittest yeah. due to mutations. But there's also control of the genes in which one species makes a little bit more or at a different time. The same protein, the same gene, but it's used slightly different. And that could be to your advantage too. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a mix. And it looks like there are uh, maybe even events that through epigenetic so there is um it's this famous example <clears throat> of the giraffe that gets a longer neck yeah because it has to reach so that's a the guy that that thought about that mechanism that thought that there was a contemporary of darwin uh he, he's still to this very day is ridiculed and of course because it's, it doesn't work like that if that it would work like that and mm -hmm. let's say bodybuilders would get sons that would already be blown up you know when yeah. they were born. it doesn't work like that but it seems that there are particular um constraints on an organism like stress and hunger and those mm -hmm. kind of things that change the way genes are modified in, not in not in by mutations but by the way they are used and accessible yeah. And, and that that's heritable too and then you get a combination between epigenetic and genetic control and that could explain maybe yeah that in the history of time variations have occurred so 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 often and so clear-cut because yeah. you wonder if it's all coincidence then maybe in a billion years more than 20 billion years we wouldn't have gotten so far at least yeah. that's what i sometimes think so you know it's it, those kind of things are very interesting to work on and and, and those things you can uh, better figure out on simple simple organisms that propagate very fast mm -hmm. than on organisms like mice and etc yeah. that we're using now it's too complicated yeah i would want to work on simpler systems okay well, right now we're of course living in the times of corona huh? and you will have a much better understanding of that than than i do uh, what's the biggest misunderstanding that you see right now about Corona in all the, all the media and in the conversations that you have with people? The biggest misunderstanding, I, I think the biggest misunderstanding is that they think that the scientists involved are true experts on this virus. Mm -hmm. Everybody is working in the dark. Um, of course, yeah, the biggest... Uh, I would say Donald Trump is the biggest fool. <laughs> but that, no, but mean, no. I mean, all the nonsense, all the nonsense that is uh, spread uh, about about Corona, and all and all the sense too. That then the sense gets lost in the in the nonsense almost. 
I think that the way we're approaching this crisis is um, is is good it's, mm -hmm. because we have such little knowledge. Uh, and and if you ask me what where is the solution, there's there's three possibilities. Either they come up with a vaccine, which means that people become immune. I don't have a, a good feeling about that, I, especially because it's about coronaviruses. And coronaviruses are actually the regular common cold viruses. And you never become resistant to the common cold. No. You can get affected by the same virus you got a cold about from last year. You can. So I don't believe that's going to work, a vaccine. Maybe a vaccine that slows down infections or that slightly project, protects as with the influenza vaccine but and then there is a possibility to attack the virus in a sense that you slow down the infection yeah so that might work but i believe much more that we should look for um, medicine that um, doesn't attack the virus as, as such but its consequences so mm -hmm. apparently our immune system reacts to this virus in a very vigorous fashion yeah and when we understand why that is, why because this virus is not so special, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't contain a particular toxin or so, uh, a particular poison that makes us dead. No, it's just it's our own immune system, which gets so much alerted that it it almost blows us up from inside. Yeah. If you understand that, yeah, and you can fight that, then you can turn the coronavirus into a common cold, yeah. and then it's still nasty. But you just have a common cold, and that's it, you know. And, and I think that we are pretty close in identifying such medication. Okay, that's I think that's going to be the solution to this uh, to this whole problem. Yeah. And I don't think we ever. What, what I what I find very strange as well is that people are now talking about the new normal one and a half one and a half meter style of living as if that will ever become normal no never <laughs> no we're not we're not we're not a species that lives on distances mm -hmm. of one and a half meter we can okay. do that for a while but no way I, i'm pretty sure that in about a year we will enjoy festivals again and yeah. we're close yeah. and, and, we're, and we're shoulder to shoulder and hugging and kissing that's that's what humans do i mean come on i certainly hope you're right there yeah. It's very hopeful to hear. Because um, one of the things you've been very active in, and that's related to this, of course, is also in sort of making scientific knowledge more public. Like mm -hmm. you've, uh, you've had a column in, in a newspaper, I think. Right. You were involved in a popular science TV show as well. Yes. Why is that something that you find very important to be involved in those events? Yeah. I, yeah. I think that uh, I think even that the, the science has a an important task, and that is to explain and explain and explain and explain over and over again why scientific the scientific method is so valid and that that science is not just an opinion uh, but that science is much more because the hallmark of scientists is that they are constantly doubting their own data and they're constantly checking and as long as every as long as everyone's checking and particular hypotheses and approaches remain valid, mm -hmm. they're the best you have. And the thing is, we're never 100% sure, which for some people is then sufficient to say, yeah, but science doesn't know it either. Yeah. No, but science you knows best. It's the best you can get. Yeah. 
and, and, and that's something I think we used to be compared to people in an ivory tower with, uh, with white coats on. Uh, that's true. Uh, but I think we have to have scientists that are capable of explaining very difficult things in everyday language yeah. and to undergo and to, and to discuss these things in the open, even with the greatest non-believers yeah. on a level field. Yeah. And then, yeah, maybe you will then still not convince people that believe the earth is flat, for instance, mm -hmm. but then if, at least you've tried, you know, and that's what we should do. Take everyone seriously. Do you see someone right now who's very good at that? Uh, Robert Dijkgraaf is doing his best. Although I don't like the style of he wants to do. He's a, uh, he's a physicist. Yeah. And, and he's also now talking about biology. And I don't think he should do that. <laughs> not when you have Matthijs van Nieuwkerk licking your boots that, 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 that that's too much that's an overdose uh i think we should have documentaries and maybe tv programs and maybe you can have that that tv show i participated in was called who's it ran for five years and there we we talked about lots of scientific stuff mm -hmm. not just biology but there was also robert dijkgaf was actually in that program yeah and and we and we we, we tried to in a playful way, explain important issues. Now, this only went skin deep. I think there's also people that would like to see a little bit more. And I would, I would love to have a, a document, a program, mm -hmm. in which scientists that are now working on Corona yeah. are explaining to the audience what they're doing yeah. and how they are approaching this. That that would be fantastic. Yeah. Instead of uh, having numbers that don't make sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have 100 new deaths, uh, but it doesn't mean anything because we're not testing. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't give you trust. But if you see those scientists with their IDs and they are capable of explaining it in the normal, then people also get trust that it'll yeah. work. So I guess that's also, I imagine that's also what appeals to you in teaching. Like yes. To transmit that knowledge. And yes. You mentioned sure. earlier that you didn't like it. Uh, before when you were teaching to groups of 200 and 300 people and now yeah. you with smaller groups that is something you find really enjoyable yes um can you maybe think of like a memorable class something that stands that comes to mind you say, oh that was a really lovely moment in uh, my teaching career <laughs> yeah uh it happened a few times i'm also teaching the uh the that's life biology class which is you know it's a it's a zero level course it's you a great course that's aimed at students who do not uh, right really aimed at students that have have to do horrible the science course because you know we're the liberal arts and sciences and and and, and uh, i hated biology I, I dropped it in high school but then well we have that slide bio. Um, let's take that course. Yeah. So I'm, I'm of course very much exaggerating because there's also students that had to draw biology and that liked it actually and want to take it up again. But sometimes you also have those in class. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not really of that sort, you know. And 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 a memorable moment was that one of those actually already at the halfway through the course came to me and said, "I'm seriously considering." taking up a science major next year. I yeah. like biology so much yeah. because of you. And that's, no, that's great. 
Yeah. That's, that's that's fantastic. I mean, it's of course also I know there's memorable moments of very nice discussions in class uh, in in the 300 level where people came up with brilliant ideas in, in projects uh, that were actually carried out not because they thought of it, but later a publication in which a, a particular idea was actually. Yeah. Th those are great moments too. But those those people are already in biology, yeah. and so it's very nice to. To get that ah, that light going yeah. on in the mind of somebody that's not a biologist. That I like that. best. It always yeah. is. And you mentioned earlier that one of the things you miss at ECU is indeed uh, the lack of time for the laboratories. Yes. You have students do lab courses, but it is of course limited in, in the amount of time they spend there. Mm -hmm. You've been working on a project for online lab work, right? Could you explain yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I uh, participated. There's a fund from the UCU, from UU. To, um, to, to to further or to change or to come up with with ideas that could further teaching, and of course blended learning is a sort of magic term these days. And blended learning means that you blend classroom with IT, so computer. And then I thought if you teach students to do experiments on the computer and make them think about a particular experiment and try it out on the computer if they then carry out that same experiment in the lab later yeah then they might understand it much better because it's in my experience if you give practicals especially short ones and you give students a cookbook sort of recipe and they do everything that's in the cookbook yeah then you get a cake you, you get an experimental result but you don't actually realize why you just carry it out and if you're very dexterous, you have a nice result. And if you if you if you have two left hands, as we say in Dutch, which is not bad because I'm a left-hander. I wish I had two. But still, if, if you have two left hands, it won't work. So then your experiment fails. And then we say, oh, too bad. You tried it. At least you yeah. held a pipette. That's that's not very what you said. That's not very rewarding. Uh, and I think if you if you have done a practical, and you've used all this equipment and expensive material then at least something should stick yeah and, and we know from experience that if you ask a student three weeks later can you explain what kind of experiment you did they know some yeah. of them yes but most of them and why did you add this buffer i have no clue yeah. so that's so i got money from the from you to in a period of three years devise a computer practical and at first we thought we could do it ourselves but it turns out that uh, even though the budget was high, it was 250,000 euros, that if you want to make a lab simulation yourself with all kinds of computer simulation, 250 million is not that much. Uh, so we went, uh, there's, a, there's a Danish firm called Labster, mm -hmm. and they are actually experts in making such modules. And we designed the module together with Labster, yeah. And that, that module by now is finished and uh, we've tried it out. And uh, indeed, we, we already noticed that students go much, much better prepared to do that practical that they did online. Yeah. Uh, it sticks much more. Uh, they like it. They sometimes even go back to it uh, if they think about their, their, their um, so, so once they're doing the experiments, they can go back to the module to see oh, what was yeah. the theory before. Yeah. For instance, they do CRISPR-Cas. You might know this technique or heard about it. It's a very modern way of changing things around in genes and will. Uh, it's a, it's quite a 
theoretically speaking, quite a tough thing to understand. So they go back to that module. How did it work again? Uh, you mean guide RNAs? What was that again? You know, so so yeah. they, they use this online, and that's exactly the idea of blended learning. You you go back to the computer, you use the computer, yeah. all the possibilities of the computer in the in, yeah. in the things you're carrying out in the lab. So yeah, that's uh, and I wish we had a lab on campus to do those things, but that's impossible. And of oh. course, the labs of Utrecht University only ten. Yeah, years. and I'm now trying to to get it done that we can get a lab module together with biology and and uh, uh, medical biology to get a module specifically dedicated for projects that run for a much longer time than just the practical. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. So we could we could do all kinds also. Uh, um, Society-related research, like in, in the old days in, in, in Utrecht, you had, you had what was called wetenschapswinkels or science stores, where people could just, you know, they could they could come and just people say, can you can you maybe look at the soil in my garden because my grass won't grow, something yeah. like that. And such a such a request could indeed lead to a biology student coming to your garden. Yeah. And trying out if they could find maybe the pH was wrong or whatever. It's a very small project, but those for those things you do need equipment and a lab. Nice, yeah. So that would be nice. Those kind of things. Okay. So yeah. then we know a little bit about you as a researcher, as a teacher, mm -hmm. and then as a human being. Ah. What would your perfect day look like? My perfect day. Yeah. Huh. Uh. In the weekend or a work day. Ah, does it make um, <laughs> just you know if you, don't really matter really. I mean, if you would have twenty four hours, can you can say okay, I'm just going to do whatever is going to make me most happy. Well, yeah, th th that's difficult. Uh, that depends on the mood. Um, hanging out with friends, going on a bike ride, what I do recently a lot. I bought a, a race bike. It seems that guys of my age all do that. So. <laughs> Did so. you also get the pants? Yeah, the pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I'm not one of those. What is the, the one of the lycra right brigade? We call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Making, making. So yeah, that's nice. And uh, and then afterwards, uh, with weather like this, have a little drink on a terrace with a good beer, and uh, maybe then a good barbecue. Yesterday evening, I I well, yesterday evening was a perfect evening. I had friends over. Me and my wife had friends over. Just two. Six feet. We were, we were four. Uh, and I prepared a picanha on the barbecue. Now, I mean, veggies are going to hate me for this, but this is this is such a fantastic piece of meat. Mm -hmm. And also, yesterday it worked really well. It's, it's not so easy to make it. Uh, yeah, that's a perfect day with good music. Yes. Um, and of course, you know, you're famous among your UCU colleagues for your gambas. The gamba, the gamba party, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. I hope we can, I, I hope. listening, you are missing out. Those are amazing. By the end of May, we might want to do that again, if it's possible. We're allowed back on campus, that'd be great. <laughs> the gamba party with margaritas, yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, but also, a perfect day could also be me working on my car, starting early in the morning <laughs> on a tough job. I like, I like. To work on, on mechanical stuff yeah and, and then something needs to be fixed and then i fix it and then if then at the end of the day it's fixed that's mm -hmm. a perfect day so yeah many possibilities yeah and is there anything on your bucket list still anything that you still want to do in your life that you haven't done yet 
Wow. Um, that are really on a bucket list? No. No. That's a no. perfect answer, actually. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. It's not, there's not something that I say, I want to parachute jump or uh, something. <laughs> no. Or a sea trip or something. No. Yeah. Because if you look back at your own life, then, is there, are there any highlights? Anything that you say, yeah, that was, that was amazing. Yeah, and I can say very cliche, meeting my wife. Uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. after two months of isolation, if you still say that, that's a really good thing. Ah, right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, true. No, well, we, we're lucky. We, uh, in a sense, we have a house that's big enough for the two of us. Our sons have already left, so we're not jam-packed. We both yeah. have a separate office. Yeah. That helps. That's uh, helps. So we're not convinced to one another or so. Yeah. So, no, yeah. But there, a real highlight, yeah, the birth of our children. You know, those are those, I don't know, many, they're many highlights. They're cliches for a reason. They're cliches for a reason. They're cliches because they're true. Yeah, yeah. true. Okay, you but just mentioned music. So we're going to end with one of your, your songs, one of your song requests. Before we go there, is there anything you would still like to add? Anything you would still like to say or... Well, I, I hope that uh, all the students are doing well and coping with this strange situation. Uh, and I'm really crossing my fingers that we can all go back to the normal campus life in September. And that's something I hope will happen. Yeah, I hope to see you soon in 3D, not on I hope so too. Okay. I won't. I won't record my little dance. I'm going to do now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be very funny. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. 